of the Sacred Feminine, now in its eighth year. I'm your host, Karen Tate, and it is my pleasure to be bringing you this show, and I thank you for listening from all across the globe. And thanks goes out to uh, to tonight's musical artist, Lisa Thiel, uh, for one of my favorites. Uh, in, in our musical repertoire here called Warrior Goddess. I guess because I'm a daughter of Sekhmet and uh, I feel like it's so important that women empower themselves and uh, find their sacred roar. You know, I was raised to be nice and never make waves and be quiet and uh, that's how they raised us in the South. And you know what? That doesn't serve anybody but patriarchy. We really do have to speak up, find our sacred roar, so that we can help save the world. You know, we, uh, it's so important that we have equality and justice and balance and peace and love and all of those good things that come with the sacred feminine. Well, happy September. Can you believe it's already September and 2015 is right around the corner? I don't know about you, but I'm feeling like time is flying like never before. And I keep thinking to myself, will I have time to get to everything I want to do? I sure hope so, because I'm shifting gears a little bit next year. Of course, I'm still going to be doing the radio show and writing, but I also plan to have more of an online presence. But that's a bit of a secret for now. I'll tell you more later, but suffice it to say, you'll not just hear my voice. You might get to see my face in my studio that my husband is putting together for me. So I'm really excited, but lips are sealed. That's all for now. So how do you like that for a little tease? Well, uh, tonight our, our current resident astrologer, Kathy Pagano, or Pagan with an O, as she's so apt to say, is with us to tell us the cosmic story for September. She'll tell us what the stars, moon, and planets are doing to us mere mortals here on Mother Earth so we're better prepared. Then our next guest tonight is Dr. Myluna Fausch. Myluna will be talking to us about the feminine voice, what it is and what it isn't. We'll delve into why your voice matters now more than ever, the anatomy of a supported voice, the way women give away their vocal power. She'll tell us about vocal violence and cultural habits that could be costing you and also tips to be heard. Sounds like my Luna is going to tell us about what I'm so fond of talking about, our sacred roar. 
And I have so much to share with you tonight. So many of you have written me in the last few weeks, and I'm so excited. We're going to get to all of that as well. Our little sacred family has really awakened this summer, and I'm loving it. I'm getting emails from you everywhere. So stay tuned in for some really great stuff after I chat with my Luna. And I want you to know that the Sacred Tour to Turkey is in place for next May. Um, It's called uh, On the Trail of the Great Goddess in Turkey, led by myself and Dr. James Rietfeld. It's going to be 16 days in May of 2015. And a glimpse of what to come. Well, you know, Turkey is a diamond in the rough, a melting pot of cultures replete with sacred sites devoted to the feminine face of God, which includes Mary, Aphrodite, Isis, Kubaba, Hecate, Athena, Hera, Demeter, Cabelli, Artemis, and many more. The trip will be one of a lifetime, delighting history buffs and goddess advocates alike, as I hope we tickle your exoteric and esoteric psyches. Enjoy the delicious food of the region, also sacred shopping, as your dollar spends better in Turkey because they're not converted over to the euro. I'll just mention a few of the destinations, and uh, you'll have to get in touch with me if you're interested, because we're only going to take about 20 men and women on this trip. And I have to be honest with you, I think this might be my last. We'll be traveling to Istanbul, the Hagia Sophia, the Blue Mosque, the Fairy Chimneys of Cappadocia, the Anatolian Museum. We're going to see whirling dervish performances. We're going to go to Rumi's Museum, the Artemis Temple, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Temples of Isis, Aphrodite, Hecate, her only standing temple that we know of on the planet. And, of course, a place is sacred to Mary. Just a few of the other destinations are Pamaluke, Ephesus, Pergamon, Assos, the rock churches of Zell Valley, Espendos, Bodrum, Perge, Mira, Miletus, Didyma, Preen, Troy. Ah, we're going to be busy. It's going to be a whirlwind 16 days. And uh, Dr. James Riedfeld is a religion scholar and archaeologist. He's been to Turkey numerous times. He's considered the foremost American authority on Artemis of Ephesus, and his groundbreaking book on Artemis of Ephesus will be out in the fall of this year. And you know me. So the two of us together, we will be a great team. So if you're interested, please don't hesitate. Uh, Let me know. You'll want to maybe get your deposit down and hold your spot. So um, I don't want to take any more time with announcements because I know Kathy has to get to her dream group. So, um, Kathy, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, it so was we're coming up. Well, say again? I was going to say we're coming up to the heart. You were talking about how quickly time was going, and we're already coming up to the harvest moon next week. Wow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm barely past spring, you know? <laughs> It's amazing. It's amazing. But so, this, um, what, what do we have in store for us in September, Kathy? What should we? What do we need to know? Well, you know, September comes when the sun is in, especially the first part, when the sun is in Virgo, and um, so when you have the full moon, you have it in the opposite sign, and so it's the full moon in Pisces is next Monday night, and. Um, 
besides being the harvest moon, it's also another what we call a super moon. It's very close to the Earth, so it's going to be very big. It's going to be more energizing. It's going to be, if you live by the ocean, the tides will be higher. And so, and because um, Pisces symbolizes the, round, the subtle realms of the spirit and the imagination, it's a great time to go to the ocean if you're near it. Ah, okay. That's yeah. good to know. So it's a good, that would be one thing. So everybody on the coast, you can just, or wherever you're on a coast, or if you're by a lake or a river, go be by the water. That would be a wonderful thing. And watch the beautiful moon rise. Um, mm. it, uh, this is something I just found out. Um, they choose the harvest moon, that, you know, because sometimes the harvest moon is in um, Pisces, but sometimes it's in, in Aries, which is the opposite sign of Libra. And it's the closest full moon to the fall equinox. And, you know, and, and they call it the harvest moon because of um, the position that it's on the earth as it's rising. Um, it's every, it's usually every um, night, the moon rises about an hour later. So if you know that it rises tonight at 6, tomorrow night it will rise around 7. But during this harvest time, um, the moon doesn't take the whole hour between the days. So there's more moonlight. And that's why they call it the harvest moon because in an agricultural society, you needed more light to harvest the crops. And so the harvest moon is when two or three or four days, the moonlight is still very strong rather than going away quickly. So you can stay out in the fields and work longer. Yes. Interesting. Very practical. Very practical. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I always wondered how that was. I finally looked it up in the Farmer's Almanac. Because um, I would think, why is it sometimes in Virgo and why is it sometimes uh, in Libra? But that's, that's the answer. At least Interesting. To the that's really Almanac. interesting. Well, you know, yeah. I, I, we're really, when you think about it, Kathy, I think we're so really out of touch, especially, I, I'm speaking for myself here in Southern California, we're really out of touch with the wheel of the year and the seasons. We don't experience any of it. I, I remember when I traveled to Ireland for the first time and I didn't see sun for 10 days. You know, it was overcast. And I really got the sense of how the ancient people must have felt when they were in winter and they were really afraid that maybe the sun wouldn't return and why there would be rejoicing when it really did. But, you know, in, in our contemporary world, especially if we don't live in a place like that, we just, you know, it, it's a, we have a totally different context for everything. Yes, I agree. I agree. I'm from back east and New England and, um, and New York, and we have seasons, and I'm living in the desert right now, and the seasons are totally different, and they don't come in the same way, and it's kind of disruptive in some ways because, you're, you know, I used to tease my friends and say the Westerners, they're constantly, they're like hothouse blossoms. They're constantly forced to produce. They don't have the quiet time of winter to sort of, you know, shut down and sleep and go within. And well, and, and don't forget not only that, but think of the people who are um, 
uh, you know, on uh, well, I'm, I'm thinking our friends in Australia. You know, they're they're experiencing the total opposite of what we're experiencing right now. That's you right. Know? Um, And and, and we forget about that, too, you know, because I'll get emails from a scholar friend, goddess friend, Glennis Livingstone, every now and again. And I'll see she's, you know, they're talking about they're about to do a ritual. And it's, you know, the total they're they're on the total opposite wheel of the year that we're on. And, you know, we have to just constantly remind ourselves about these, uh, you know, these things because it's so easy for us to be out of touch. Right. It's so important for us as goddess women to ground ourselves in nature and because that's where we're getting our information from. We're getting it from life itself. And, um, you know, with Virgo, the sun right now is in Virgo. And Virgo, you know, we always hear about, oh, those Virgos, they have to be perfect and they have to be in control and they have to organize everything. Me, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) Happy Virgo, happy birthday. Um, Thank you. you. But but the thing is, if you think of it during the time of year, Virgo is when the, the harvest comes in. And so something that we've worked very hard on all year long is now ready to manifest. And if we look at it psychologically and spiritually, you know, one of the things that we want to do is or is look at what we've accomplished this year and as the year runs down and, um, and integrate the new experiences we've had this year. What did we do differently? What new things did we learn? Um, how do we see life in a different light? And um, it's sort of like the last quarter moon. If we look at the wheel of the year, the, um, the fall equinox is like the last quarter moon in the moon cycle. And the, moon, and the last quarter moon is, is, we call it a crisis in consciousness. It's when everything, you know, when the harvest is in and we have to gather the seeds for the new year to save so we can plant it um, for the next month or the next year. And so... Um, we're at this time when we have to get to the essence of what it is we've manifested. And so Virgos are really wonderful because it's about integration. You know, Virgo is about, I'm a virgin, I belong to myself. As my Virgo son, whose birthday is tomorrow, told me, he was six, and I'm trying to get him to go to bed and goes, finally, Mommy, I am the captain of myself. <laughs> I said, great Virgo statement, Jonathan. You're you're six and you know that already. That's wonderful. Get to bed. Um, but you know that's that's so funny. I had a um, uh, I had a, a a person who came on my show who uh, uh, feels like they can communicate with the angels and people on the other side. And and uh, he told me he said, you know, the message for you, Karen, this this lifetime is about. Uh, going it alone, standing on your own two feet. So that's probably perfect for Virgo. Yeah. Well, it's you know, Virgo is so concerned with the integration of body, mind, and spirit. And what we will do with that, because, it, you know, on the fall equinox, the sun goes into Libra. So Virgo is all about, okay, who am I? How do I think? Where did I come from? What talents do I have? So you integrate it, and then you go with, when you go into Libra, you go, oh, and now I'm going to take me out into the world and see how I can be of service. 
So, so, so what you're saying, I, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying to relate to it on a personal level, Kathy. You know, this year for sure. me, I think, has been a lot about um, learning forgiveness and practicing forgiveness even when it's hard and maybe trying to have compassion and patience. I think that's what this year has been about. So now at the harvest moon, now that I understand that, that that's what the year has been, what I'm working on, now is the time when we more consciously integrate it so that it becomes part of us so that maybe next year we can work on something else to maybe elevate our consciousness even more. Is, is, that, is that kind of what you mean? Yes, exactly. And the other thing is you need to, to love yourself enough to not question that you are learning that. You might not be as good as it now as you will be in 10 years, but, but part of the thing is Virgos always worry, am I perfect enough? Did I learn it enough? Maybe I'm not good enough. So part of it is to accept the harvest and say, great, now this is part of who I am, and it will continue to grow because now it's part of me. Okay. Okay? Okay. Now okay. the other thing is with Pisces, the full moon is in the opposite sign, and that's you know, whereas Virgo is all about the earth and about being practical and bringing those together, Pisces is about the waters of the imagination and of spirit. And so, you know, Pisces is about our heart, our collective heart. And, of course, that's where the truth lies. We only know the truth through our heart. We don't know our, the truth through the mind. And as much as patriarchy wants to trick us into thinking that's how it works, we know the truth through the heart. And so that's why I was saying you need to love yourself enough. You need to look into the, that beautiful, glorious moon on Monday night next week and to see the love that the goddess has for you and how well you've done. Part of our trouble in patriarchy is, you know, I'm reading that um, Sacred Economics um, by Charles Eisenstein. Yeah, he's been on the show. Yeah, and... Um, and, you know, he's talking about how we created an economy of scarcity. But the other side of it is we've created a, a mindset where we're never good enough. And uh, I did it at the Sophia Center. I did a couple of um, rituals for um, Mary, and, and I'm doing one for Isis. And it's about loving ourselves enough um, and seeing our beauty and seeing the, the truth of our hearts. And so, like, when you say you have to be less judgmental and more loving and more compassionate, we all have to. Um, but we also have to, congrat- you know, love ourselves first um, and be kind to ourselves first so that we can be kind and loving to other people. And I think Mix. that's what this Pisces moon will be teaching us if we let it. Oh, it makes it makes so much sense. Um, it really does. I just I love how you can make this all so relevant, Kathy. You know, you can, uh, you know, give us wonderful um, seeds of wisdom and you know tie it into you know the seasons and um, it it's just really wonderful. This is so helpful. Thank you. Well, you know, I I always when I was younger, I thought, how did I get born now? I definitely don't like our society. I think I was eight, and I was telling my mother, I don't like this place. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and part of it was um, my own Taurus side, okay, which is, you know, I'm sort of a Pisces Taurus energy. It's I want to bring back 
you know, I think all of us do, anyone in the goddess, you know, who is connecting to the goddess, has to bring back that that understanding of what life really means and how the seasons can open us up and gift us with wonderful, um, you know, with joy, but also with wisdom. And so that's what I've been trying to do, and I think all of us do. We do it in different ways, but this is what we're doing. Yeah, because, you know, like you said, you know, patriarchy doesn't want us tuned into these sorts of things. You know, they don't want us to have, you know, this inner wisdom. Um, they just uh, want us to always feel like we're never good enough, like you said, and maybe always feel like we never have enough so that we're, you know, we constantly kill ourselves, you know, and work harder to acquire more junk, you know, in, yes. instead of just enjoying our quality of life, you know, being in joy, uh, you know, when you're out at the ocean or you look out over the beautiful desert or, you know, whatever it is, you know, it, it's sort of taken the sacredness out of the simple things that really sort of feed our soul. Yes. And the most important thing it's done is separated us from our people and 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 the most important thing is relationship and knowing that, that we're all in this together. And that's another thing that the Pisces moon tells us. We're all in this together. Not in in a way that just our mind says, oh, yeah, well, we're all in this together, but on a deep feeling truth that we're all in this together. You know, we can connect, you know, just like that man can connect to people who have passed. We can connect to each other long distance. I'll tell you another quick story about this youngest son of mine. When he was in college, he went to um, Germany um, and Italy and, and Switzerland for school. He just was interesting, and he did all that. And he was going from a, a college in Tübingen, Germany, to Rome. And I'm meditating, and Carl Jung said, never do active imagination with real people, but I didn't listen. And so I'm thinking of Jonathan, and I'm hoping he's healing, and I'm seeing all this stuff come out of his stomach, you know, fish heads and everything. And, and um, you know, I was saying, I hope he has a great time. And he got deathly ill because oh. I, I pushed too much healing into him long distance. <laughs> um, so and, he was he was purging? He was, he was like, he doing a purge or he something? Said, Mom, I've never been this sick. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I better not do that again. But we do have, we are connected. Just because somebody's not in front of us doesn't mean we can't send that connection. And that's what the Pisces moon is about. It says, open your heart. Who's in there? Who are the people that live in your heart? You're always connected to them. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I think we really all have to do better at uh, caring for one another, you know, just sort of checking in with each other and seeing how we're really doing, you know. I, I think we all live on such a surface level because we're so busy um, that yes. that uh, it takes time to slow down and think, um, you know, maybe you're with a friend and they don't, you look quite right, but you're you're busy and you don't stop and say, well, how are you? You know, are you okay? Can I help you? I think it's really right. that simple. It is. And that's how we're going to bring patriarchy down. Um, by not, you know, when you walk out of the mindset, when you leave the story and you enter a new story, you know, you can generate the energy around that new story. And soon, if enough people love that new story, they'll all put their energy into it, and pretty soon the old story will die. And that's what we're hoping for. Yeah, 
Now, that's what we're waiting for. That's what we know is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, Let's put it definitely. in the affirmative. <laughs> okay, that is what is going to happen. And Absolutely. You know, As we too, will, and so shall it be. <laughs> so mode it be. You got it. <laughs> this full moon, too, is connected with a lot of the feminine archetypes. The, there are four, well, there are a lot of asteroids, but there's four major ones, and um and um, they're named Juno for Hera and the goddess of relationship, Vesta for the sacred fire within all of us, um, Pallas Athena for uh, our creative intellect, and um, Ceres, or Demeter, the, the mother goddess. And all four of these energies are connected to this full moon. So it's very much about bringing the divine feminine back into our consciousness. And the more that we do it, um, because I always think that if we work with the energy of the heavens, it's like we get hypercharged, you know? It's like yeah. we, we hook into the energizing bunny or whatever. Um, when we go against the time, that's what disaster means, to go against the stars, just after, to go against hmm. the stars. And um, and so when we go against the energies, when we try to push through on something when it isn't the time, it, it takes more energy and maybe it won't work. So that's, right. to me, the other part of working with these cosmic energies. It's when we know that this is, we're winding down, we're harvesting something. You know, we might have a job that feels like it's the same every day, but it, in our imaginations, if we live this symbolic life, we know that, oh, okay, now I'm harvesting something. What have I done different this year? And how can I serve humanity with what I've learned? And that's what I would say this month is about. Of course, on the 22nd, the sun will go into Libra. And the interesting thing about that is that all of it's going to connect at different times, but probably by the next time we talk, I'll talk about this in the beginning of October, it's going to connect with that big the big change planet I keep talking about, the Pluto and Capricorn and the Uranus and Aries, the, the 60s revolution that is in its next stage. And so it should be very interesting because I know politically, you know, everybody's saying, oh, the conservatives are going to win the, the Senate in America um, and, and, and it's going to get bigger. But the thing is, revolution's in the air and so who knows what will come. And so part of it is, you know, the more that we imagine the change and step into it ourselves, the more we create it, don't we? Oh, God, I hope so. The last thing we need is the Republicans in charge of the Senate, too, because even if Hillary gets in the White House, she won't be able to get anything done, you know, for the next four years with those crazies, you know, controlling the yeah. other two houses of, uh, of government. Um, I would like so, to say one thing about that, ahead. and then I know we have to go. I, you know, as much as I would love a woman to be in the White House, we do have to say a lot of prayers to get Hillary to realize that Monsanto is evil. She has yeah. been on the board of Monsanto for 20 or 30 years, and she thinks GMOs are great for the world. And yeah. I think that just because she's a woman doesn't mean she's not a patriarchal woman. She right. is the daughter of the patriarchy. And not all women are equal. I think goddess women are more alive and more conscious and more willing to go against the, the tide of things. And so as much as, you know, as a woman, I, I, I hope the best for her. 
she still has a lot of negatives. <laughs> so. You know, you know, Kathy, I agree with you. I really do. Her and Bill are way too corporatist. And I really think somebody like Elizabeth Warren is really more in sync with, um, you know, people like us. Uh, you know, she's yes. she's much more uh, willing to speak out against uh, the big money. And uh, but you know, I guess we're just going to have to see how it all shakes out. We're going to see how it has to shake out. Mostly, it's about how we step up and step out. And so I urge all of us honest women to run with the wolves, as Clarissa Estee would say, and go out and howl at the moon and roar like Sekhmet and um, <laughs> stand up for the right and stand up for the truth. I okay. think that's and, our job right now. And just one last quick question. I got my big book launch party on this 27th. Is that a good yes. day? Is that a fortuitous day for the party? Um, ooh, I would have to look that up quickly. Um, I, oh. It will take too long. I don't have my Oh, that's my okay. Book don't here, worry. But it, it's what it will be is, if I'm thinking correctly, um, the 27th, um, it will be a little bit intense and very powerful. It's going okay. to be what we call squaring, challenging um, um, Pluto in um, Capricorn, which by then will have just turned, uh, slowed down. It's been in retrograde for the last five months, and it's going to start to go ahead. So Pluto is going to be squaring it. So it's so I would say to you, bring your passion and your love and imagine all of that extra power that Pluto has to evolve and see how you will be evolving the culture. Okay. Well, that's what it's all about. It's called, you know, the the party is called Celebrating um, Partnership, and uh, that's what we're trying to talk about, you know, evolving the culture right? into partnership. Okay. Well, Kathy, thank you so much. It's always such a pleasure to have you on every month. I, I sure appreciate your time. And um, Do you want to say your, your books and website real quick before you leave us? Okay. Uh, my book is called Wisdom's Daughters, How Women Can Change the World, and it's a psychological but also a symbolic study of how the goddess shows us how to use our wisdom. It's about the woman who's clothed with the sun, who stands on the moon, and who's crowned with stars. And it's all. And in that image itself, it tells us how to access our wisdom. And so she's this image of Sophia and Lady Wisdom, which is what it is. She's cha- she's the goddess who returns with the changing of the ages. So that's the book. And my website is wisdomofastrology.com with dashes in the middle. And of course, I'm an astrologer and a dream therapist and a goddess woman to the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Kathy, and it was so wonderful to be with you and all the other Sekhmet women at the at the temple last month. It was really my pleasure to see you in person and uh, and share wonderful. a little bit of a little bit of time with you. So, um, thank you. Well, um, you have a great class, and um, we will uh, hopefully see you again the first Wednesday of next month. Okay, thank you, and I hope to see you before then. Take care. Okay, bye-bye.
Goodbye. Well, listeners, um, Kathy was talking about uh, going out and connecting with nature, and uh, one of my listeners um, sent me this, and it's so appropriate for what she was saying. Uh, uh, Pat sent me this. Uh, She saw it on the Gale Song website. Uh, she, uh, she thought it was a great sentiment for the show, and I agree. Um, the quote is, A sacred place is one where the earth's voice can be heard clearly. Go to these places and listen. Once you have heard her, she can reach you anywhere. And those are the words of Frederick Lehrman. Frederick Lehrman. So thank you, uh, Pat, for sending that. And uh, speaking of sacred places, uh, I just wanted to remind you, if uh, you still have your vacation left and you don't know where you're going to go for the summer, we still have some weeks left. And uh, if you're ready to hit the road on maybe a self-driven goddess tour of the U.S. or abroad, but you're not sure just where to go or how to get there, uh, check out my first book, Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations. Not only can and you travel to sacred places of the divine feminine up and down the west coast uh, but you can find other u.s and international destinations as well and i have to say um i you know pat myself on the back a little bit here there is nothing like it uh between two covers uh it's gotten great endorsements it's sold in all the usual places uh, or you can order a signed copy from me. Uh, check out some of the endorsements on my website. Go to KarenTate.com uh, and uh, look it up. So uh, we are going to be saying hello to my Luna here. I'm about to unmute her. Uh, I think, yeah. Hi, my Luna. Hello there. Well, thank you for being with us tonight. Um, I'd like to introduce you to listeners by reading your bio, and then we're going to jump in and talk about the feminine voice, uh, just what it is and what it isn't. So, listeners, Dr. Myluna Fausch, um, she's got lots of initials behind her name. Uh, she is certified in energy healing therapy, intuition, medical intuition, uh, vocal technique, and care. Uh, she's part of the Modern Day Muse group, uh, and uh, she's a holistic health counselor and practitioner. She has a BS in uh, music business and a PhD in holistic psychology. Uh, she's a voice works associate and a certified level three somatic voice work singing teacher. And further studies include acting, uh, care of the professional voice and the artist's brain. And her experience includes over 20 years in show business as a singer, actor, vocal coach, vocal producer, lyricist, and entrepreneur performing at venues such as the Swiss Embassy and Blues Alley in Washington, D.C. My Luna, I didn't know you were a singer yourself. I, have we ever I am, heard you I, sing at the Goddess Temple? Uh, you know, I've only sung there probably once to date so far. Oh, we'll put it that way. Oh well, we're going to have to hear you. <laughs> we, I think we've probably missed a lot. Um, uh, <laughs> well, so, do you, do you still get a chance to sing much? I mean, um, you know, for pleasure or for ritual or anything like that. For pleasure, I do. I do not actively pursue performing right now. I used to have a jazz trio on the East Coast and used to do that quite a bit. Wow, I can just see you doing that. I really can. (laughs) 
Thank you. So the feminine voice, um, what it is and what it isn't, it's kind of an intriguing subject, I think, because um, it, you know you can talk about the literal voice, but you can also talk our, talk about our metaphoric voice. I think all of the above. All, all right. <laughs> so, so why don't you why don't you jump in? Uh, maybe, uh, maybe tell us why our voice matters now more than ever. Yes, let's start with that. We're at a an auspicious time, aren't we? A quickening, a change, and we must restore justice to this country. We must restore democracy. We must speak up on behalf of women and children and animals. We must balance the feminine masculine preparing for the fall off of patriarchy because this country was not founded on large, what I call bully corporations that rape Mother Earth in the name of massive profits. It was built and founded on individuals and groups of individuals that were seeking religious and entrepreneurial freedom. Yeah, and, you know, corporations have really taken it too far. You know, they would probably say, well, it's their entrepreneurial freedom to rape Mother Earth and exploit workers and because, after all, you know, maybe, you know, they should just be able to do whatever they want to do. But it's like, you know, freedom, you have to have a conscience with freedom. You really do. We have a responsibility within that, and that's where it gets dangerous with people running amok. (laughs) Yeah. With no limits, no consequences, no conscience, no seeming deep level of understanding or compassion for what's really happening here. So, you know, maybe you're the perfect one to ask this, and and forgive me if this is throwing you a curve, but, you know, we're (laughs) talking about women's voices and how it's important more now than ever. I don't know if you've been seeing some of the articles that um, I've been seeing on the Internet and women have been sending me, and, you know, our hair just kind of goes on fire because it'll be stuff like women against feminism, uh, women want equality without anger or women don't want to be called feminists because they're not victims you know when i hear stuff like that and feel free to disagree with me because i'm really trying to understand these women when i hear that i think okay um it kind of goes back to what i said at the beginning of the show are they women like i used to be when i grew up in the south we were told women don't get angry women have to always be nice it's as if there's something wrong with anger. And and I guess I don't understand either how speaking out about what's wrong in the world and trying to fix it, how does that make you a victim? I, I guess I'm asking you to analyze these women. What's wrong with them? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, or is I there something with wrong you. with them? Do I just not understand where they're coming from? I'm I'm not sure I do either, and I have run into this repeatedly, and I bet you have too, that when I have showed anger, sacred rage, I've been very much criticized, mostly by women, Mm -hmm. as if that wasn't okay and how dare I. I was raised in the Midwest, seen and not heard. My opinion was not to be stated. Nobody cared. It was very much a message, you behave like we tell you, and that's the end of it. And so I think because women are not in balance and we are not pulling enough of the masculine in, which would be perfectly comfortable with anger. Anger is necessary 
in our voice, in our life, when used appropriately, we must have that full range from softness, softness, love, to to sacred anger for change. Right, right, right. And you see, so, that's what I yeah, look at as Sekhmet. You know, I look at Sekhmet. You know, she gives us permission to say no without guilt. You know, uh, it gives us permission to be angry because anger can be channeled into so many positive things. You know, you think about maybe somebody's kid is killed by a drunk driver and then all of a sudden you have it mad, you know, women against drunk drivers, you know. This is exactly what happens, Karen, uh, exactly. I don't know the age of some of the women saying this. Maybe the other thing I might say is perhaps they're not as old as you and I are. We've been on the earth a couple of years or as wise. And I, at my first job, I was propositioned and sexually harassed every day. So perhaps we're dealing with women who have not experienced this, that this very much still goes on within our lifetime. So you can call me a feminist, you can call me whatever, but I'm here to make a change and make a stand. Right, right. And And I know you are as well. Because it feels like to me these women are really afraid of their voice, you know, um, I mean, Very look, if much. we can accomplish what we want to accomplish by being nice, well, that's great. You know, we aren't out there to be angry, you know, but I don't think there's anything wrong with being angry when it's necessary, you know, or calling out bullies, you know, when it's when it's appropriate. It's almost as if being nice is going to kill us. I think it very well might. <laughs> <laughs> It, so it does is not that the way sort of there's t- a time and place, as you said, for being nice and kind, and there's a time and place to set a very strong boundary. So does that sort of tie into what um, some of what you're going to talk about tonight? Um, you know, ways women give away their power vocally or vocal violence. Any of that sort of tie into that? Perfect. All of it does. All of it does, Karen. Shall we talk about? how women give away their power vocally, or shall we talk first a little anatomy and the amazing facts about the voice? You know, whatever makes the most sense for listeners to understand, I will will follow your lead. (laughs) Well, let's go down the hole of uh, anatomy, shall we? It's a fascinating place, literally, down the throat. And believe it or not, the first place that we start with I call this the anatomy of a supported voice. It starts with our feet. Who knew? It's our connection to Mother Earth. And I used to learn this in opera back in my undergrad days. I was an opera singer. And my teachers never said this, but what I have come to understand over the last few years is the connection with Mother Earth is first and foremost. So you must be rooted and balanced on your feet. And anyone who's done body work or the Alexander Technique, things like this, they do teach you that as a performer. So let's scan the body. Imagine dropping that grounding cord or cords, whatever the belief system is for each of us, maybe slightly different. And then feel the feet and the toes anchored, I like the word anchored to Mother Earth, tethered, grounded, connected, whatever word just lights lights you up, whatever word is the frequency. And then as we come up the legs, we want our knees soft. And then we come up to our lower belly and the belly button area, and we want that soft because that's the workhorse. That's how you take a singer's breath. 
is from that low belly. Then we move up to the chest area. And so the chest is always lifted up and expanded. So you can feel that expansion in the rib cage all the way around, front and back. And then we come up to the neck. We want it long and lean front and back. So there's no shortening of the back of the neck, no shortening of the fifth chakra in the front or back. It's as if I were pulling you up to your very tallest. And then the head is level. The chin may be slightly lifted, ever so slightly. The throat is open. And inside the mouth we have this amazing feeling of hugeness. I call it inside bigness or it's that space inside the mouth. It's that sensation right before we yawn. So you can imagine, oh, yeah. And if you simulate, simulate a, a yawn, easy for me to say, simulate a yawn, then, of course, it usually goes into one. And that's the anatomy of a supported voice head to toe. Hmm. Isn't that amazing? You're, so you're making me, uh, I, I mean, this, this all feels like the things you sort of do before you get ready to do a meditation. You know, it, it's almost the same thing. I think it is the same. There's a lot of the same things I do before meditation or ritual that I do before singing or speaking. It's, hmm. it's, uh, it, it really is. Now, let's talk about some facts about the voice or the body. I've been in love with the voice forever, and I studied piano and flute, but I kept coming back to the voice because it's so very unique, and each one of us has such an individual body. There's roughly 57 muscles in the face and 22 bones. There's a little bit of disagreement about that even in anatomy books. And so imagine not using the face and the head is like functioning at 93%. Because the face is an amplifier, and I tell my students this, think of your face as a speaker or an amplifier. And it's, the sound is bouncing off the bones and your particular anatomy as only you are made like that. Each of us is so unique. That's why I've been in love with the voice forever. When a baby is born, it can only make survival sounds. And then at three months of age, the baby's vocal tract begins to open up. Isn't that amazing? I hadn't even thought about something <laughs> like that. I was astounded when I found that out. The vocal mechanism can make up to 300 sounds, and the vocal cords, or more correctly, are is to call them folds because they do fold under. They can vibrate up to 1,000 times a second. Think about that power. Of course, wow. the higher we go in frequency, you can picture a piano, the low end, the long, heavy bass strings vibrate slower. As we go to the, towards the treble, the, st the shorter, lighter strings, the frequencies faster. Two-thirds of our body lights up or is active when we make sound. The diameter of the vocal folds is about the size of a penny. You can imagine they're all in there, horizontal, all in there. Well, we'll call it the whole mechanism. And it's about the size of a penny protected in there horizontally in in the bony area there, in our throat. Wow. So That's small. That's all it is. Isn't that yeah. amazing? Yeah. 
And you might know, I'm, in fact, I'm sure you know this, that humming or singing a song of gratitude instantly reduces our level of stress. So you know, I was things. I was thinking about that, my Luna. Why Where is it you? that when we sing, we feel better? I mean, is there is is there a scientific something you know understanding behind that? One of the main things we know about that is that when we sing, or we could also say poetry, or create art, or even here's the amazing part: even witnessing changes the chemistry of our body. So what happens, say I'm singing a song, and I like jazz now at this particular point in my life, or R&B, parts of my brain are lighting up all over the place because I'm singing, plus my emotional center, because now I'm expressing emotion. And the audience, or whoever is witnessing this, has the same effect in their brain. Isn't that amazing? So your emotional center is also lighting up as we attune and connect together. Hmm. Goes back to what Kathy was saying about our, our interconnection that we forget about. Isn't it the truth? So even for those people out there that say, oh, I'm not an artist, and I would probably disagree, everyone's creative, just the fact of witnessing a song, poetry reading, a beautiful piece of art, their brain and, and that person has been changed as well. And I would imagine, likewise, when you hear Fox News or, you know, some other sort of crapola, um, it probably affects you likewise. It would shut us down equally likewise, we might say. Absolutely. Yeah, so, it, so you know, what, what we're feeling is, is really real. It really is. There is a physiological reaction. Thank you. That's the words I was I was uh, thinking about, but didn't come to me. Thank you. Absolutely. Okay. Welcome. Now, um, so the the there's a difference though between the natural voice and the electronically altered voice. I mean, other than the obvious that it sounds different, I would imagine you probably mean more than that. I do. And I do not personally use or believe in auto-tune. This is one of the main things I'll talk about because it's used so heavily among singers who literally live cannot sing on tune. <laughs> so, Karen, I'm old school. I spent my whole life learning to sing well and on pitch, and that's what I teach. I'm not going to – how do you teach somebody to, to auto-tune? I have no idea, and I'm not interested. But wait, what, what is auto-tune? Is that something that a, that a, a machine does? It is a machine altering that can be done in the studio or live that keeps a, a singer on pitch. So in other words, when we hear people sing, we, we don't know if we're really hearing them and, they're, and if they're really talented or not because the machine can make a correction. Yes, and I will not name any names, but there are top pop stars who cannot sing on pitch. <laughs> and Why I will not, not malign them, me? but uh, <laughs> yes. What happens when we electronically alter the pitch? We've now changed the sound wave, we've changed the frequency, and we've changed, in my opinion, the intent of what I was singing. And I'll tell you a funny story. A couple of years ago, I was at a birthday party, and I was speaking with the piano tuner. So my first error in thinking was that a piano tuner is a musician. 
Not necessarily. Probably most of them are not, although my piano tuner is because I want somebody who's also a musician and has musicians' ears. Someone who tunes with the tuning fork, the computer, but also by ear. And my particular guy tunes all three ways. And this person and I almost got into a fight, and I remember how angry I was because he said, well, Melinda, you just need to get with the program. Modern Day says auto-tuning is just part of the culture. You're old school. You're way out of touch with reality. Young kids can't hear the difference. They're probably deaf anyway, and what does it matter? (laughs) Oh, my goddess. (laughs) And I had to, he pretty much dominated the conversation with me, and I allowed it. I I will never do that again for two hours berating me how old school and how I should just get with the program and auto-tune my voice. Wow. (laughs) Me thinks not. (laughs) Me thinks not. I'm not going to have my sound wave intent or the frequency altered chemically or electronically. Thank you very much. Wow. Isn't that funny? It is. It 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 mm. uh, it really is. And I mean, I think it's something we don't, um, you know, we don't think about too often. You know, um, well, and and I don't know why it I'm, it's making me go back to this. You know, because I don't know. To me, this is all sort of interconnected. But um, I remember, uh, you know, when Hillary was running for president a few years ago, when she was, you know, competing with uh, President Obama. And, you know, we heard these people say, oh, she's so strident, you know, or, you know, it sounds like she's telling us to take out the trash. You know, I I guess I wonder, you know, that, you know, and maybe that's where you're about to go with, um, you know, ways women give away their power or vocal violence. But, um, you know, I, I guess I wonder why is it when women speak with authority and speak assertively um you know they're 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 strident you know they're they're strident and um but, but if but if a man says the very same thing and maybe using the very same tones um it's just okay i mean are we just so conditioned you know that um we only expect to hear uh, sweet things coming out of women's mouths or else, you know, the, they're biatches or something? Mm-hmm. It, that is certainly a major part of it. And it part of what I've looked at is exactly what you're saying. Why, when a woman is bald, and I happen to be pretty bald, and the question is why does clarity or why is clarity labeled harsh sometimes? Mm-hmm. When, mm-hmm. as you said, if the if the man would say the same thing, he would be freaking brilliant. But mm-hmm. I just said that. And so it's, for me, it has been so long and so much culturally over eons, decades, of the dilution of the female voice. And some of the ways I'm going to talk about how women gave, give away their power and some of the things that we do, which do continue to weaken this. 
And I believe if we would take a look at these things and stand in our own power, our chances of being heard are much, much better. And, just and maybe a, even when it may be even when we hear another woman using that voice, you know, maybe some of these wishy-washy women could, you know, maybe understand and support her or maybe find their own voice as please, well. And, and not think that their voice is something to, you know, be hidden, you know, or, um, you know, devalued or underused. It's so true. It's so true. We must stand on behalf of, of other women as well instead of that, well, I'll go into that a bit later, exactly what you just said. And the other thing that you mentioned about politics, we know that many times the person who gets elected is the best communicator. Mm-hmm. So not making a political statement there, but Obama is a very excellent communicator. And mm-hmm. so that makes it that much makes it much easier. When we deal with in Western culture our ears like a deeper voice. So when we're dealing with a Studies show this. A taller man, a man with a deeper voice, we instantly feel safer. We prefer it. And I would argue that that all goes back to the big, dad, gaudy, God. Let me, let me start again. The big, bad, God, daddy, Jesus, save us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes? The male mm-hmm. doctor, the, the, the people who prefer the male doctor, I'm going to argue that's all about turning that over to a big, bad male, daddy, Jesus, God, save me? Who can protect us, yeah. The t- Who can protect the, us the, in giving away our responsibility. We are responsible for our lives. Because, you know, so. there's something about tone, too, my Luna, because, you know, what I seem to hear over and over again, and, you know, and, and it always feels like to me it's split between conservatives and liberals, um, and, you know, I hate to always go back there. Maybe it's just my point, you know, uh, my point of view. But you know how you all – and go into Obama and about his tone. And you and I are sitting here saying, yeah, we, we appreciate his tone. And, uh, but, but then, you know, because he's, he's deliberate and you know he's thoughtful and he's intelligent and he's a good orator and he communicates well, he's, you know what he means – and then you get somebody like George Bush or one of the other right-wingers, and it's you're either with me or you're against me. And, you know, it's, it's this, it's this kind of um, – I mean, it, there's, it, it's like if you're not a bully. I, I, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is right now with all of the stuff going on in Syria and the Ukraine and, uh, and, and over in Iraq, conservatives feel like Obama is weak because he's not – freaking out, you know, because he mm-hmm. has quiet, um, quiet authority. Um, it, uh, the, I, maybe I'm not using the right words, but it's like quiet power versus loud bullying power. And it's like some people only recognize the loud bullying tones and they don't understand quiet power. They do not. And, and that probably goes back to, we could tie that into what we, patriarchy, mili- military, um, athletics, things where the, the dominator, dominator politics. Mm-hmm. And if we don't, 
watch out. That's where this country's headed. The bully, the dominator. That's not our right. purpose. Right. That's right, another right, discussion, right. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another radio <laughs> show, isn't it? So let's, shall we jump into to ways women give away their power vocally? Oh, most definitely, most definitely, because I'm sure we all do, even those of us who think we've you know, got our sacred roar down pat. <laughs> I love that. I've always loved that. First thing, speaking too much. Hmm. No women I know, including myself. I never speak too much. The thing is that most of us are communicators. Women seem to be wired a little bit more for that. We know that men and women are wired differently. I happen to have in my DNA massive amounts of communication. Not only am I a singer, but a writer and a speaker. So I am always, I almost always have something to say. So we need to learn, bring in that crone. That wise woman elder, there's a time for silence, there's a time for pausing, there's a time for not saying anything. Yeah, because, you know, how often do we find that, that, I mean, because I find it on my radio show. Now, granted, you know, when you're on radio and someone can't see you, you don't want to have dead air. But even aside from that, if you're just in the middle of a conversation, sometimes I'll find myself filling an awkward awkward pause when there's nothing being said. Is that kind of what you're talking about? It is, because we're so uncomfortable with that silence, as you mentioned earlier with Kathy. And that is just a reality of Mother Earth. There, There is silence in between the noise. And can you imagine a piece of music without a rest? It would be, it'd be unlistenable. The unlistenable, or a poem without a pause. We would not have any proper rhythms or the ebb and flow of life. So we can tie that directly to Mother Earth. And if we'll stand in that uncomfortableness, it's always much less time in silence than we think that it is. But that's Mm -hmm. the power of a performer as well. When I can get my student to stand there, and look at the audience before singing, before speaking, before acting, that's the power. That's the power. Or how about this one, talking about how busy we are. I am so tired of hearing this. I know we're all busy. My question is always, busy doing what? Are the things we're doing our highest purpose? Are they growing our businesses? Are they our sacred work? I really am not wanting to hear that too much anymore about how busy women are. Give it up. I know I used to say that all the time, maybe 20 years ago, because I thought it made me more important. I was so insecure, I would just say, I've got this going on and that going on. I wasn't impressing anyone. I was just trying to feel important. Hmm. How about no boundaries? Now, I know I wasn't taught any boundaries. I don't know about you growing up. I was not taught any boundaries. So how about this? You're around other women, and they start fixing Well, how about this, giving comments, opinions, advice, completely unsolicited? Mm. That's a big one for me when people start fixing me or, gosh, you're bold, Maluna, or whatever. Um, Don't recall asking. Right, right, right. It's really not our place to fix others. And then there's the thing about tone or speaking at an incorrect pitch. Some Some women speak too high. 
Now, do you really take me seriously if I speak at this pitch? You're not going to take that seriously at all. Or if I'm artificially lowering it to I'm going to talk down here. This is not correct placement. So it sounds forced. You can hear that I'm not comfortable within my own body. Well, and you know, you're saying that, and it made me think about a phone call I actually had today. I had Hmm. this woman call me, and she had this tiny little voice like she was this little mouse. Mm. And, you know, I really had to work hard to take her seriously. And I thought to myself, I really did. When I hung up the phone, I thought, I wonder if that woman is going to sound like that the rest of her life, or maybe she's really only 12. (laughs) I'm exaggerating. Mm. You know, but is is that voice going to mature? I hope so, because I don't think anybody is ever going to take her very seriously. That's a great point. It makes it so difficult for us to hear that. You have to listen so hard. It's so uncomfortable. A lot of times when I hear people's voices, I can tell sometimes there was a trauma, an emotional trauma, something that happened in their life that caused their voice to stop maturing at the age of 12, 13, 14. And so you'll hear a 70-year-old woman with a voice like that. And it, wow. it's completely out of alignment. It's, I had it, no it, idea it, that was possible. She could move beyond that with, with coaching and with, with work and, and, and attention to that. So we aren't stuck with the voice that we have. We can really um, develop it into um, something better than what it is if we don't think our voice is serving us well. We really can. The voice, it's mostly muscles. It can be grown and changed like any other muscle set in the body. And I don't know why people think that they can't change the voice. I have people challenge me on that. Well, of course you can. If you think of anyone, a James Earl Jones or or a famous person like that, he used to stutter. Of course you can change your voice. And he has Hmm. a magnificent voice now. Who wouldn't want to listen to that instrument? (laughs) It's magnificent. Right, right. Well, and you think about actors. um, You know, I was amazed to find out that characters on True Blood, so many of them actually have accents, either from Australia or uh, from Great Britain. And, you know, they've changed their voices to sound American. So what's the difference? I mean, it's pretty much the same thing, isn't it? It is, and there are dialect coaches who who specialize in that. That's exactly what they do, to have an actor or person learn a correct accent or another language. So, you know, I'm curious, and, and forgive me, I keep going back to this, but I, um, I guess it's just where my head is at these days. Mm. If you were to teach, say, a woman who wanted to go into politics or a woman who wanted to be, I don't know, maybe a, um, uh, a, a, a life coach or, mm. you know, a woman who wanted to be heard and make a difference in the world, what kind of a voice do they need? Or is that just too big of a question? I mean, is it, is, you know, are there parameters? There are, and it's very specific to that person's job. To me, I I look at it as corporate culture. So our politicians, what do we want from them? Let's take the example of someone who's been called strident. 
I would want to put more rhythm in that voice, maybe more of a, I call it a sing-song quality. So I'm not mm-hmm. speaking like this, I'm not monotone, but I'm I'm putting a little rhythm. Like if we hear Italian has, uh, I'm going to speak Italian, all mm-hmm. of that has mm-hmm. music within that, yes, or French. And then we could look at German, which is very, it has percussion in there. So depending on what we're, what our purpose is, what that person's job is, like a hypnotist. We want them to have a lovely, soothing voice, yes, during certain things. A politician, we want to trust them. I'd want their voice to be very grounded, very connected, and I'd want power pauses in there. Power pauses. Power pauses. What's a power pause? Like you say something that you want to punctuate, and then you, you pause before you jump into the next sentence? Yes. That's what I call a power pause. Okay. So give a moment for that to land on the audience's ears because a politician would want influence and persuasion. Yes, and ideally used for good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In our world, in the goddess world, used for good. Because <laughs> wouldn't you say sometimes maybe tone can even overcome content? I mean, it's almost as if you said hypnotist, and it made me think, can the way you say something almost be more important or more influential than the words themselves? The tone is more important than the words themselves. The body language ranks at the top. I think that's, I don't have my numbers in front of me. 55% is our body language, so if we're standing tall, if we've got that alignment that we spoke of at the beginning of the conversation... Let me think if I can remember the numbers. Um, Something like 38, well, we want to add up to 100, is the words and the smallest percentage of that, did I just say that backwards? No, is the tone. So as humans and as energy beings, we hear more the tone than the words themselves. I might be very charming and say, oh, why don't you just go to hell? (laughs) <laughs> or I could say it in a whole other way. Why don't you just go to freaking hell? It was all about the tone, wasn't it? Now, I added a word in there, but it wasn't that basically the same thing, said two very different ways. Right, 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 right. So exactly. That's very cool. Very yeah. cool. And, you know, and the vivid illustration, right? <laughs> well, you know, and we don't, I, I mean, I'm sure you do, but the average person probably doesn't stop and think about this quite so much as, the, as maybe they should. You know, why are they drawn to particular people's voices or why are they turned off by certain people? It might really be their, their voice. I think a lot of times it is. And we're so in love with technology and microphones and all of the audio and all of the electronics that we skip over the voice. The best microphone in the world will not disguise, will not disguise a poorly produced voice. Hmm. It just amplifies it, as a matter of fact. So, so do you right, find wish- your? It, it, I'm sorry. Do you find yourself uh, being, you know, a voice coach and everything, and this being so much about who you are? Like if you're listening to the radio or listening to television and you go, that's a good one, that's a bad one. <laughs> I really do. I I react almost physically to it. There are voices that we align with 
when a person's look matches their voice and everything else is aligning in front for us, then we're more at ease. It works for us. Let's say what we spoke of earlier, we see an older woman or someone on a commercial that's maybe 70, 80, a wise woman, and then if she came out with a little voice like this, oh, whoa, wow, whoa, now our truth antennae, I call them, or I antenna, I just went up. Whoa, that's not matching. What's going on? Mm-hmm. It upsets us. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not an alignment. Our right. senses are now a bit confused. Everything didn't match. Right, right, right. And, and it puts, um, you know, maybe just on an unconscious level, it puts us um, uh, ill at ease. We are now at ease, ill at ease, Exactly. Exactly yeah. what you said. And how about when the voice is too sweet or too soft? This is one of the main things that we could speak about women. Too soft, too, like you said earlier, I could barely hear her. Now our ears have to work much harder. Or if a person, a woman is putting herself down, speaking too soft or too sweet. And sometimes I think right underneath that softness or sweetness is a sense of rage just holding that down. That's that anger that wants to come up when we're like, oh, I agree with you. Oh, that's right. And we're not. We're completely lying to ourselves. And so our fifth chakra, our voice and our body are reacting to these statements, and we know it's not our truth because we know that our body is wired for truth and sacredness. So there's a time to stop. There's a time for soft and loving. There's a time for firm and unshakable. During leadership for women, during mothership, when saying no, we have to have that whole, we must possess the entire vocal range. Right, right. You know, I was thinking about a friend of mine who, um, she lives in another country, and I'm not going to say where because it might give Mm. away who she is, but she is so soft-spoken. In fact, Mm. you know, I've hesitated to have her on the radio show, even though I know she would have a lot to say, because I can't get the woman to speak up, Mm. you know, and and it seems like it's almost a cultural thing, you know. Um, do you find that that there are some cultures where it's 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 almost as if women speak in whispers? You know, it's, it's like the equivalent yeah. of a burqa hiding your body. <laughs> it's exactly the same thing, isn't it? it? It is very true. I have a lot of experience with Switzerland. My husband is Swiss, so I spend a lot of time there. There are some issues with that there, and. I had a friend from Egypt, and if I even spoke at what I would call a normal volume for me, he would think I was shouting at him. So what are we saying there? Hmm. That would mean that I would have to keep my voice like this, which would be completely fatiguing and unnatural and not right for a voice like myself. Right. But in certain cultures... You know, women probably can't raise their voice. It would be frowned upon, and that's a nice way of saying it, yes. Right. It could lead to violence. As we know, we have all suffered violence for speaking out. Right, right. Yes. So, Myluna, what is vocal violence? Vocal violence is saying things like, oh, I have to. 
to, or I wish, or I need, or the victim, or entitlement, things like this. Or how about this? I've had people say to me, wow, you're really skinny. I wish I was. Now, here's the, first of all, that's what I call vocal vomiting, because it's a, it's not really meant as a compliment, although I'm sure the person is thinking that it is. But there's a lot of baggage behind that because they're saying that they're not skinny or that they're comparing themselves to my body. Now, it's not politically polite or correct for me to say to someone, you are really fat, but is that not the same thing? True. It's a label for someone. It's a statement. It's an opinion. And so it's what I call snarky women-on-women violence. (laughs) it's the snarky it's subtle it's insidious and it must stop or insidious i always pronounce that word incorrectly it's it's kind of like oh that black dress sure makes you look thin mm, you know that's almost saying you'd sure look fat with if you didn't have that black dress on kind of a thing exactly there's a whole train of energy and intention coming behind those words so it's not kind it's not right Or violence is speaking curses over others. My mother said things to me like, you will never amount to anything. Mm. Ow. You feel that? You feel Mm -hmm. what that feels like to even have me repeat that on your show? Or how about this? A friend last week invited me to her birthday party, and I was attempting to fit it in my schedule because it was a last-minute notice. And I was really doing my best because I'm the type of person I want to be there for my friends. And I was attempting to fit it in. And I know she was trying to be nice. We'll use that word, four-letter word, nice, and trying to take the pressure off. But then she said, it's okay if you don't make it. What? Now, why is that okay? Do you? I want to know that my friendship matters and my presence matters. So saying things like this, well, it's really okay and oh, it's okay if you're late, and it's okay if you don't make it. This weakens everything. Wow. Because now we're not women of our word, and this is such a problem. I'm sure you encounter this all the time, people saying things, not keeping their word. This is a huge problem in the world. True. We must be conscious of saying and keeping our word and only saying what we have every intention of honoring. So, all right, so let's backtrack a little bit mm. to the girl who invited you. And and I think you said, you know, maybe she wanted to make you feel like, you know, if you didn't come, she didn't want to put pressure on you. What would have been a better way to say it so she could get across the idea she hoped you'd come, but, you know, she didn't want coming to be a burden or a hassle or whatever? Exactly. In a case like that, I would take the responsibility on myself because we are responsible for what we say. And I would have said something like, I know I'm reaching out here at the last minute, so you may already have something planned. But here's what we're going to be doing this evening at 6.30. You're my friend. You matter to me. Is there any way you can come? I see. I see the difference. It's so different. Yeah, my yes, energy, yes, my does. intent, my consciousness, the way I said it, I took responsibility because I'm asking at the last minute. 
But I'm also not going to say it's okay if you don't make it because that could be interpreted like I really didn't matter and why did you invite me in the first place? I could read all kinds of things into that kind of a, a word. I, I hear you. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, there have been times I have said stuff like that, and now I'm cringing, thinking, oh, my God, I hope they didn't take it the way you're saying because that wasn't what I meant. But, you know, we really do have to choose our words carefully. Well, we'll do better at that, won't we? We will do better at that. There's wow. also a few cultural habits that can cost women money. Can I also, shall we... Spend a couple yeah, of minutes. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Have you noticed that some women say, I'm sorry all the time. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let us dissect that. First of all, we are not sorry. We are divine women. So even the word, I am sorry, no, you're not. There's nothing sorry about you. This is... This is a trigger word for me. And then the other part of that, or or all of this all connected, interconnected, is when a person does that, oh, I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it completely weakens their energy and their vocal power because they're just saying this like a trigger, like they can't help it. They've gotten in the habit of saying this. It's almost like saying, I'm sorry, I'm taking up space. I'm sorry, I'm a woman. It's oh, we could go so deep and so painful with that. Yeah, it's it's um, it, uh, it's frustrating. It feels like it's a crutch, and it's almost like it's an excuse for bad behavior. Sometimes it does, and so we want to not do that. <laughs> well, and you know another declare. phrase that that I think is like that, where you're saying one thing, but it really sort of carries other meaning, is with all due respect. Because, you know, usually if you're saying that, you're not giving the person you're saying it to due respect. (laughs) It's usually the opposite. You really want to say, oh, you SOB, not with all due respect, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's a perfect example. Or, oh, to tell you the truth, well, does that mean everything before was a lie? <laughs> These are triggers. And, and, and what are we really saying? We think nothing of it. However, what if we did think something of this? So let us be very conscious. If we say, I am sorry, it needs to be absolutely with pure intent and really appropriate. Sometimes I will say, please forgive me if I know I've made an error or, or possibly hurt someone. I am very careful if I say, I'm sorry. Another thing, studies show that women are more interrupted by men and other women. This is way more common that women are interrupted and men are not. Studies prove this. So sometimes women will trail off or not finish their sentences. And sometimes we just need to stand our ground And I've watched men who are very skillful at this and very beautiful communicators. And when someone is interrupting them, they will not stop speaking. They will just hold their ground and continue on. And there are lovely ways to do that. You heard how I just strung that all together. Right. And so that's what someone should do is is just keep talking when someone interrupts them rather than, um, stop and let and you know give the right away to the other person. Sometimes we need to just continue on. Yes, 
And, of course, it depends on the the person, the appropriateness of the situation, how important the words that you're saying are. But let's, I just give us all permission to, to do that. I'm here to say let's do that when necessary. We absolutely need to stand our ground. Okay. And that also ties back into the voice that's too soft. Uh, don't do that, little Johnny. Are you kidding me? Is that child going to respond to that mother's voice? Johnny, right. get over here. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, there's yeah, my hear New you. York voice. Which one, <laughs> which one is firmness and which one is more likely to get attention? Right, right, right. And so we, we want to be appropriate to the situation. And sometimes I might want to whisper because now you've got to draw closer to hear what I said. But it's all dependent on that situation. Well, and, and you know, when you were saying before about people whose voices are really small and low, mm. it can almost be, with some people, almost be a manipulation. And now that might sound crazy, but I wonder if for some people it's it it forces everyone to stop and pay attention to them and give them more energy because they're purposefully talking so low. I mean, does that make sense? It sure does, and it is a manipulation, and I have witnessed that very thing. It's the same as a person who refuses to wear a hearing aid, and Mm. so everyone is screaming and trying to project and attempting to include that person in the conversation when, in many cases, an amplification device could be worn. There is a manipulation and a power to getting attention in that way. As you just said, that is a fantastic point, Karen, fantastic point. Well, and I think with older people sometimes, it, they might not realize it's manipulation. It might just be that they can't face the fact that they're deaf. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. You're absolutely right. That's not what we're speaking about here. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it is just kind of a, a parallel in some cases. Yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. form of manipulation. It's very I, unkind. You know, I was doing a ritual once, and um, I had a part for this couple, this guy and this gal. They were supposed to speak this part. And I and I said to the woman, because she was rather soft-spoken, now you know you're going to have to speak up. You're going to be in front of everybody, and, you know, we don't have mics and blah, blah, blah. And, do you know, she stood up there and she whispered. And... I'm sorry, I really got angry because I thought to myself, how in the world did she think anybody heard her? And, you know, and then when I said something to her later, you know, it was like there was something wrong with me because I was pushing her out of her comfort level, you know, when it was like, well, why didn't you just tell me you weren't going to speak up to begin with rather than ruin the whole presentation? You know, it's, it's yeah, so, I mean, voice can really be... Um, I, I keep going back to the word, but I felt like that was manipulation that day. I would agree with you because this is the success of your presentation. And if we're not being heard and we're not standing our ground and we're not asking for what we want, because that's a whole other thing that women don't do, they don't. we don't negotiate as well. We don't ask for more money. We don't ask for what we want. It's costing us money, relationships, clarity, 
And, yes, that was her responsibility to be heard with your presentation. That was her responsibility. Yeah, and if she wasn't going to speak up, then she should have said, you know what, you could pro- should probably find somebody else for the part. That would be the mature, kind thing to do. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That would be the right thing to do in my book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But going back to this idea, we don't speak up for, you know, a raise or you think about women um, sometimes who maybe go through life and they're somebody's wife or they're somebody's mother and they never really speak up for what they want. And maybe they don't even know who they are because they have, you know, lived their life for other people so much that they not only don't have a voice, they don't have a life. It kind of goes hand in hand almost. It goes hand in hand. Absolutely goes hand in hand. Well, my Luna, we probably have about five minutes here because I have some things I want to cover before the end of tonight, uh, some stuff that um, listeners have sent in. I think you had some tips for women to be heard, um, you know, to close out our interview here. Perfect. couple more tips for women. So we, a couple of them I'm going to repeat. <laughs> And then another one. So stand up tall. Could I say that? Stand up tall, ladies. Stand up tall, sisters. Support with your chest. So as we're sitting here, probably most of us are in chairs. Let us sit up very, very tall. Lift that chest. Lift those ribs. Expand that rib cage. And feel the lower belly. That's the workhorse. That's where we take our breath. And it comes all the way up through the ribs, all the way up through the trachea, comes all the way out the mouth, and then has to go behind the nose and has to come out our face and and resonates throughout our head. It's fantastic. And then here's here's a final tip for this evening. That as women, we always want to wear lipstick or lip gloss. Studies show that when we have lipstick or lip gloss on, that our lips are seen better. Therefore, our words are heard better. Wow. This this probably connects with being sensual and the feminine. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay whatever it ties into because I need to be seen and I need to be heard. So let us. Use lipstick and lip gloss to our advantage, shall we? Absolutely. <laughs> and you know what? I would love it if at uh, if if you would email me after the show and tell me if I'm doing a good job with my voice on the radio show. I would be honored to do that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, my Luna, um, I know we've talked about a, a good bit. Is there anything I haven't thought to ask you that you want to make sure listeners hear before I have to say goodnight? I feel like we've covered everything that I was planning and intuiting, and I we have, yes. <laughs> okay, and if anyone wants to get in touch with you uh, for your wonderful uh, voice classes and voice lessons, why don't you take a moment and and say what you do out there in the world in case someone wants to avail themselves of your talent. Thank you. For the person who needs speech coaching, presentation coaching, public speaking training, 
I also do concierge voice care, which means custom care for the touring musician, how to physically, mentally, spiritually, vocally take care of that instrument. That's your lifeline. I also do some vocal rehab, which is for the person that has overused the voice or is experiencing hoarseness at the end of the day. I can get to the bottom of what's going on and and help them. It's different than speech therapy. I'm not a speech therapist. I'm coming at it from an actor, a singer, a person who uses their voice heavily, holistic health care, the psychologist, all of those things that I do. So people can find me at thevoicehealer.com. That's T-H-E, thevoicehealer.com. Do, do we want phone number or no? Is that appropriate, Karen? Um, you know what, may either website or email address maybe, and if anyone wants your phone number, they can email me and I'll put them in touch with you. Okay. Well, I can be contacted through that website, so let's let's do that. Let's leave it with that. Or okay. <laughs> well, you know what? This has been fun, and you have really made me think about some things I don't think I've thought about before. And uh, I'm sure listeners out there will most definitely benefit from some of your your wonderful advice. Thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. And um, thank you so much for being on the show, and I look forward to seeing you soon down there at the Goddess Temple, and maybe <laughs> we'll get to hear you sing. It has been my pleasure. <laughs> Thanks again. Okay, good night. Thank you, Marlena. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. I think tonight's been fun and informative, and uh, I promised I would share some of the uh, the letters uh, that I got from so many of you this week. Um, so let me get to that, uh, and uh, let, let me start with Christina. Uh, Christina said uh, that she wanted to tell me how much she enjoyed the show. She's been listening for a while, and she thinks it's informative and eye-opening. She said, earlier in my life, I had become so disillusioned by the patriarchy and the monopoly of male-only, anti-female gods and religion. She said, I had shut my mind to the spiritual world. And some of your work has been really instrumental in me rejecting this false dichotomy. I know now there's an alternative. My favorite shows are how the sacred feminine applies to politics in the world at large. Other writers seem to box the goddess in, saying she only applies to history or certain areas of our lives. But when brought to the political arena, the goddess immediately raises the question, if we can have a goddess, why can't we finally have a woman president? Furthermore, the presence of a goddess also raises the question not only of equality, but goes even further to ask if sometimes men should even be submissive to women. I'm not for a second uh, for a second suggesting the reverse of patriarchy. I recall hearing about a study, if even one woman was involved in a negotiation, there were better odds of a settlement. When I was a child, I witnessed uh, one of my neighbors beat another neighbor with some sort of car tool after getting into an argument. Something about a storm had knocked over a tree in a yard. Well, his wife was at the time cooking dinner and ran out to stop the fight, but it was too late. One went to the hospital, the other went to jail. Walsh, Christina says, what if instead the two women negotiated a deal over dinner while the husband handled cooking and cleanup? Oh, Christina, I love you. And then the men iron their spouse's clothes so the women are ready to handle work the next day. 
Christina says, I just think uh, there is this entire other world that's possible and that patriarchy has completely covered it up as being impossible or impractical. As long as it's consensual and not compelled, like we are under patriarchy, Christina says, I think we should be open to the idea of men submitting to women. Please keep your shows going. I'm going through the archives, and I learn something almost fundamentally new every episode. Christina, thank you so much for sending that. Christina reminded me of a friend of mine who said, Karen, you've cured me of Christianity. <laughs> and I have to tell you, when uh, my friend Dharma told me that, I, 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 I lost, laughed my butt off. Um, then uh, Pat, Pat says, uh, I know your listeners are frequently looking for simple things they can do to help the environment, so here are a couple things they can do. She says, for those who live near coastlines, International Coastal Cleanup Day is September 20th. They can check locally to see what's being organized. It's lots of fun and provides a real sense of accomplishment by the end of the day. Also, if you live near creeks or rivers, there's sometimes local cleanup efforts for river and creek banks. Um, and then she says, for everyone, skip the straw. Skip the straw. If you're eating out and you're offered a straw with your drink, tell them no straw, please. It will help keep them out of the oceans. Well, that might seem like just a small little thing that would really be insignificant, but Pat says, last year volunteers picked up 550,000 straws during international coastal cleanup, with the average American eating out four times a week and almost all of them using a straw or two. Simply keeping your straw can have a huge impact. If 25,000 people skip the straw every time, we can keep 5 million plastic straws out of our oceans and landfills. Now, that's a pretty good suggestion. Now, um, this comes from a listener, uh, and I have to tell you, I thought they were pulling my leg, and this is, you know, this is kind of a dicey one, but I, I think you ought to know about it. This really blew me away. I thought the listener was pulling my leg and trying to, to get me to put something on the air that was just crazy and maybe embarrass me or something. And they asked me if I had heard about something that's done in very conservative Jewish circles. Um, it's and I, and I know I'm going to pronounce this improperly because I don't know how to um, uh, to pronounce it. It's M-E-T-Z-I-T-Z-A-H, uh, Metzitza, uh, P-B, uh, I'm sorry, B-P-E-H, uh, but it means oral suction, okay? And basically uh, what I was told, this, this listener was very upset because, uh, you know, she was saying, why is this allowed to go on? Because in some of these very conservative, fundamentalist uh, uh, Jewish circles, rabbis still perform oral suction during circumcision. And you know what? I didn't believe that was a real thing. But the person seemed sincere and was, uh, you know, and, and sent me all of these websites to look at. So I, I spoke to someone who uh, I knew would know this kind of stuff. And he told me, yes, yes, among the ultra-Orthodox, this is still real. And I said to to him, I said, well, you know, is this kind of on par with pedophilia? And uh, my Jewish expert said, no, sadly, it's based upon medical ideas of the Middle Ages, 
uh, it that's really was the purpose of removing blood during circumcision, which of course is better performed with a gauze pad these days. Um, but he said that uh, it really goes back to vestiges of the Middle Ages that should be left there. Uh, but this is only done inside of very ultra-Orthodox groups. But uh, for my listener who wanted that to be made public um, so that you would know this kind of thing goes on, uh, you know, during you know, male circumcisions of, of, of young children, uh, it's really pretty crazy when you think about it in this day and age that science wouldn't trump uh, this ancient tradition. And um, I don't know, I guess I just feel like if it were pagans doing that kind of thing, um, they'd be getting arrested. So anyway, uh, uh, again, the oral suction uh, is called, uh, I'll spell it, M-E-T-Z-I-T. I'm sorry, I can't even spell it. M-E-T-Z-I-T-Z-A-H. And the second word is B-apostrophe-P-E-H. B-apostrophe-P-E-H. You can look it up for yourself. Um, And then uh, I wanted to share something else from one of my listeners who said they want to remain anonymous. And it's not because it's bad. They just thought they should remain anonymous. It was about sacred blood. Um, She says she knows I call the monthly cycle sacred blood. And she says we agree that women are important. Sadly, their monthly cycle is anything but sacred in some countries. Many girls lose their education because they cannot get their hands on menstrual pads. So she thought I should uh, remind folks about this website, um, donatepads.org donatepads.org so maybe that's something uh, you might want to look into dear listeners and she reminded me of an uh, an article that I read to you a while back about a guy in India who invented pads and how he was so happy with himself as he should be because um, you know it enabled so many more girls to go to school you know we don't think about this we just go to the drugstore and you know we just take for granted having menstrual pads but what if we didn't imagine that think for a minute what if we didn't and so many girls and women around the world don't um also uh this might fall into the category uh of you know what i was talking about with my luna um and uh but we were there's been a lot in the news about um uh, you know female genital mutilation and domestic violence and uh some of us me included uh you know we really get annoyed that uh the people who are doing these things um don't actually get named and uh, a woman by the name of Elaine uh, Charkowski, who is going to be on the show pretty soon, um, she wrote to me and said, yes, naming male violence specifically seems to be taboo in our culture. She says, it's the vomit on the carpet that everyone steps around and ignores. And, you know, I, I know that's, that's, that's kind of rough, you know, but it's so true, isn't it? Um, we hear about you know women being beat up, or uh, and we say, oh, it's our culture. But you know, in our patriarchal culture, uh, people in the media seem to have a problem saying that 
you know, naming the male violence, that it's men perpetuating this, uh, this, this violence out there in the world. Um, it's called the absent referent. Uh, this refers to something without actually naming it. Um, Carol Adams coined the term in her books linking men's abuse of women and animals. Animal, uh, animal examples of the absent referent or veal, which is really baby bull flesh, or steak, which is cow flesh, or bacon, which is pig flesh, but we don't call it what it really is. Well, we do the same thing when we say family violence or domestic violence uh, or uh, intimate partner violence. We seem to be unable to name men as the agents of women's agony. And that's not male bashing by any stretch of the imagination, um, listeners. It's just food for thought because I know you know that, um, uh, you know, I, I love our feminist men, but some of these guys out there, you know, they're bullies. Uh, so think about that next time and don't let people in the media get away with not naming what goes on as male violence. And uh, you'll you'll uh, hear Elaine Trakowski on the show uh, before the end of the year. We're going to be talking about uh, uh, this very this very subject. And uh, let's see what else I have here. Uh, here's a, a, a feel good story. After all, the heavy. Uh, and uh, this comes from Pat. She sent me this story about Texas firefighters rescue a heart attack victim. Well, uh, it seems that the fire department um, is getting a lot of attention because um, after they uh, saved uh, John McCormick, a 65-year-old who suffered a heart attack while mowing his lawn, uh, they brought him to the hospital, and then the firefighters actually decided their job wasn't over yet. Instead of returning to the station, they went back to McCormick's home and finished mowing the lawn. And when they were done, they left a note for the family, and the letter read, We felt bad that your husband didn't get to finish the yard, so we did. We noticed the padlock to the garage was unlocked, so we locked it and placed your key in the mailbox. We're very sorry that your husband became ill. We hope he has a speedy recovery. Let us know if there's anything we can do to help you out. And that came from the Baytown Fire Department, Station 4, A-Shift. So, anyway, that's kind of a feel-good story that... Small things prove, you know, there is still good in the world. And thank you, Pat, uh, for sending that along. And uh, I want to say thanks again to Dawn in Dubai for her generous donation and also to Anna here in L.A. uh, for her donation. I really do uh, appreciate the help. And um, one last thing. Uh, I want to say thank you to uh, my listener, uh, Philip, who uh, was listening from Summerland, British Columbia in Canada. Uh, He wanted to tell me about an experience he had with the Egyptian goddess Sashat. Her name is spelled S-E-S-H-A-T. She's not one of the best-known Egyptian goddesses, but um, she came to my attention a long time ago because she's kind of the goddess of administration. She's sort of the bean counter, and uh, that I could resonate with with my Virgo-ness, you know, my lists 
notes and my record keeping and all of that sort of stuff. I sort of thought of her as, uh, uh, you know, a goddess I could uh, relate to and she could relate to me. Anyway, Philip from Summerland in Canada uh, was listening to some of my shows and, you know, sometimes we talk about sacred hallucinogens. And uh, he sent me a letter about his um, Sashat moment, and it came about uh, during a time he was imbibing uh, some cannabis. So anyway, uh, he talked a little bit in the letter to me about cannabis science is helping humanity reestablish a connection with the Garden of Eden, and that connection will eventually change everything and take us permanently out of the Dark Ages. Could be. Uh, But then he was talking about Sashat and um, her seven-pointed cannabis leaf. Um, He thinks of it that way instead of a seven-pointed star uh, or emblem over her head. And he said, uh, this made me wonder of the role teacher plants, teacher plants, must have played in a golden age. He said one evening after eating two cannabis cookies before going to bed, what was I thinking, he says, that role became apparent as I awoke in a deep state where once again I was being baptized in the waters of consciousness, keeping my eyes closed and being in the dark anyways, there was no room for earthly distraction. Along with all hieroglyphs, sashat symbolism has a consciousness attached to it, and that consciousness merged with mine that night as the cannabis, the comedic symbolism, and myself became one, a shamanic trinity of the most intense kind. Cannabis was sashat anthropomorphized. She magically, as with a as if with a stick located where my consciousness or soul level was situated in the groove of my staff, which was my spine. Her symbolism turned into an experiential manifestation. I was living it. He says, I can't make the claim that this is what Sashad is really about. My latest understanding is that I believe hieroglyphs are not so much meant to be interpreted literally and or symbolically, but are more to be experienced. And each experience is sacred and personal. I hope that this email brought a little more clarity to my craziness. God bless, Philip. Well, Philip, thank you so much for that. Um, You know, we've had some shows with some great uh, guests about sacred hallucinogens and cannabis and how some of these um, drugs raise our consciousness and bring us to new levels of creativity uh, and understanding and awareness. And uh, I think your story is uh, an example of that. So I have much more uh, to share from uh, listeners in the weeks ahead, but that's about all we will have time for tonight because I owe Joe Carson a commercial, and I thank her for running them here on the show. So uh, for a moment, please, uh, listen to Joe Carson with Dancing with Gaia. Most people see humankind as really separate from nature and separate from the earth. I'm as much of this earth as a rock or a tree is. And I came out of it. This is my mother planet. I grew out of this earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less 
divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Well, that was a little snippet from uh, Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia. Uh, Dancing with Gaia explores the connection between earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the goddesses Gaia. It features 15 visionaries who give us tools to feel the life of the planet within ourselves. The DVD comes with a 45-page mini book and costs just $20. And you can get your own copy at dancingwithgaia.com. So we are coming to the close of the show, and I wanted to tell you that I will not be with you next week, so I will have to direct you to the many wonderful guests that are in the archives, Uh, but I will be back on the 17th, and then the following week we'll actually have two shows, Uh, so you won't uh, be sure to show in the month of September. Uh, When I'm back on the the 17th, I will have with me Sally Roche-Wagner. And um, to close tonight's show, I wanted to share a quote with you from uh, Mohatnas Gandhi. And he said, Never apologize for being correct. Many people, especially ignorant people, want to punish you for speaking the truth, for being correct, for being you. Never apologize for being correct or for being years ahead of your time. If you're right and you know it, speak your mind. Speak your mind. Even if you are a minority of one, the truth is still the truth. That's Mohatnas Gandhi. I think he's talking about finding your sacred roar. I think he's talking about who we are, the cognitive minority. We know the truth. And we are just trying to wake everybody up, and we're waiting for them all to catch up. So I want to thank my guests tonight, uh, Kathy Pagano and my Luna Fausch. And I want to thank all of you listeners who sent in all of these uh, great things to share. And I will close tonight's show with, uh, I think, uh, maybe something from Sekhmet. We have been talking about sacred roars, and uh, I think Sekhmet uh, is the embodiment, uh, embodiment of that. So if uh, you'll indulge me, because I know I play this often, but I love it, and I hope you do too. This is the Sekhmet Mix by the wonderful group in Las Vegas called Zingaya, who is another of my favorite artists. I love their Breath of Passion and Nomad, Nomad's Land that I play uh, as well here on the show. But uh, this is in tribute to uh, Sekhmet and our sacred roars and finding our voice. Uh, so here she is.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.